Well, we are uh, lined up with uh, the day of the liturgical year. We are in uh, Holy Week. This is Palm Sunday, beginning of Holy Week. It just so happened where we're lined up in our lessons. Uh, that's what we're going to look at this morning. We'll, we'll talk about that passage or one of the, the four passages that deal with Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry. Um, we're in, going to be doing this from Luke chapter 19. We could also do it again. We could, we could look at one of any of the four Gospels. They all four have this particular episode in them. And of course, it's because it's the beginning uh, of, you know, we've learned that Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem and he is steadfast in fulfilling now the, the mission that he has been sent for. And it's during this week that the slowly it will unfold the nature of this mission, which at this point is still uh, misunderstood even by his uh, disciples. We looked last week, remember he had just said exactly what would happen. And right on the heels of that, James and John asked if they could, they could receive the positions of honor. And Jesus saying, you don't know what you're asking for. Uh, so still this is happening. Um, this is Passover time, so it's not just Jesus and a few disciples heading, uh, heading from that road that goes through Jerusalem up to, I mean, up through Jericho and up to Jerusalem. Uh, this is a big deal. There are, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people, pilgrims on the way to Jerusalem. So the timing of, is, is right. It's the Passover. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of things, a lot of valences of of meaning going on here that we'll look at. Now, up until now, Jesus has been hesitant. And in fact, he's forbidden people to, to publicly proclaim him as the Messiah. Uh, the religious leaders have gotten wind of it just through the testimony of so many others and things he's been teaching, as John reveals when he was going into Jerusalem, much more than the other gospels reveal. And so there's already high tension about who Jesus is, although he's never made any sort of real public, showy proclamation of any of this, that he is the Messiah. This is a turn. This time, there is no, hey, everybody be quiet. In fact, it's the Pharisees telling everyone, be quiet. This time, everyone is proclaiming him as the Messiah. Now, they don't understand the nature of his Messiahship in this, as he comes into Jerusalem, but they are excited. And we need to have that in mind. This is a big, exciting parade. It's loud, there's music, there's shouts, there's all this stuff going on. It's very noticeable, all right? And it's planned. This is not something that just sort of spontaneously happened and Jesus wasn't aware this was going to happen. There were plans in place. He is not just saying, well, I'll go along with it. This is him as well publicly now proclaiming his role. So with that, uh, let's go ahead and you'll see the outline. I tried to make the font bigger for everybody, but unfortunately the pens are, 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 are lazy. They're, we're running out of ink here. We'll try to remember to get new pens. But you'll see the outline from Luke chapter 19. First point is triumphant procession. And then the second is a tragic prophecy on the heels of this triumphant procession. And the first point is verses 28 through 40 of chapter 19. So, have that introduction, let's go ahead and see 
what Luke has to tell us. So 28 through 40. You ready, Jay? Yeah, I'll tell you voice, I'll read it for you. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany and the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and, on, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ridden, ever ridden, and tie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them as they were, as they were untying the colt. Its owners asked him, why are you untying the colt? He replies, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus. Those their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the ground. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples begins joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they have seen. Blessed be the King who comes in the name of the Lord. And some of the Pharisees of the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. And, and I tell you, he said, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached. Awesome. Him, Thank he, you, sir. Okay. Good it's job. It's all there we go. All right. Um, there's Luke's account. Notice what he doesn't bring up. He doesn't bring up the palm branches. He doesn't bring up that. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But let's set the stage. He's come from Jericho. It's about 15 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem. Uh, Bethany's about two miles to Jerusalem. And this village of Bethphage, or Bethpage as we say, we, there, people really don't know where that is, whether it was a suburb, but it's, it's most likely on the, the east side of Olivet or the Mount of Olives. So if you're looking out, if you're looking east from Jerusalem, that's the ridge you see is the Mount of Olives. And Bethany is on the other side of it. And other side, and then it's all descent elevation-wise, all to Jericho. So they've come from way below sea level, now coming up to a couple of thousand feet above sea level. So it's a rise the whole time. From Bethany, you can't see Jerusalem. And it's at the crest when you come across that's when the crowd erupts. So it's this, this really, you know, it's not, we, we, we tend to think of it just as a, you know, we're in San Antonio, so it's just, shoop, you know, straight shot. But this is, he crests the hill, and that's when this, this takes place. Um, well, he's, he's getting there, when he got there, when he gets to probably Bethany, he sends two on ahead to this other village. Or it could be Bethany, it could be outside of Bethany. We, we're not told. We're just given the location so we're know, we know for sure he's on the east side of, of the mount where he's not yet visible. And here's where we know that there is some planning involved on his part because he tells them to go to seek out this colt, the colt of a donkey, um, and whether it is through his own uh, foreknowledge, his own, you know, him knowing exactly what's going on or whether he had arranged this, 
Uh, either way, it is arranged. There is a knowledge about what's to take place. This is not accidental. They didn't go and get a colt to say, here, you're tired, ride this. He tells them to go get this colt. And he says, when, when people ask while you're untying it, if they, when they ask, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of him. Or as Jay said, the Lord has need of him. All right. As, thank you, Jay. <laughs> Much more Jewish, right? Okay. Yes. Is there any significance to the fact that no one ever sat on it? Yes. Very good. A cult on which no one has ever sat. Just like the... Uh, like the, the, the cart that carried the ark or a, a, or a sacrifice that is given. It's something that, it has, that has had no other earthly purpose. So there is a significance to that as well, that there is, this is set aside, um, just like those things are set aside, that this cult had not done that. Now, Matthew adds, the, adds that the, the mother that was, brought, was brought along, which kind of makes sense if this cult isn't broken, if this donkey is not broken, to have the mother along. Luke, the others do not include that little detail, but that makes sense if you want to think of it that way. Well, it could just be a password he had set up earlier. Why are you taking it? The Lord has need of it. Okay, that's it. Uh, there's, we could park there and have a lesson, right? Um, how much are we willing to give? You know, are we set up ready to give so that when the, when the Lord says, the, the, so when he says, so when we hear the Lord has need of it, we're ready to give. Um, anyway, you could park there. That's, that'll preach, right? That, that'll go. All right. Well, this idea of a, of, of a cult, this, this cult that has not been ridden, is from Ze- Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. This was a messianic prophecy. Matthew brings it up. John brings it up. They're much more overt about it. Matthew, of course, is always talking about prophecies that are being fulfilled. So he, he does indeed bring it up. And in Zechariah 9, 9, we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Hence the name, triumphal entry. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's, he is just and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah 9, 9. Um, this also, you know, harkens to Solomon being placed on David's donkey. Kings would ride, don- donkeys have a bad rap here, but kings would ride donkeys because they were an animal considered an emblem of peace. So here you have the Messiah coming in, but he's riding a donkey. Kings would ride donkeys on peaceful emissary missions. They rode war horses and they were mounted on horses when it was war. Here he is on a donkey. So this passage from Zechariah as well, hearkening to the coming of the Messiah, you have this idea of peace. Uh, also in Zechariah you have a prophecy of the king coming, that he will come to the Mount of Olives. So you have that going on as well. So there's all these resonances. You have the Passover, when the Exodus, God delivering his people, all of these things coming together. So when they bring the donkey to Jesus, they, they lay their garments on the donkey. 
on the colt and put him on the colt. So he's riding this colt, not because he's tired. Jesus knows this prophecy. He knows what people are thinking, and he allows this to happen. He wants this to happen. He's actually making a public now demonstration of his claim. Why would he do that in the midst of all of the turmoil and knowing the religious leaders are out to get him? Well, there's no way to get at him right now. You talk about causing problems with this huge upsurge of, of, of people shouting at who, about who he is. They have to bide their time. But Jesus is drawing a line in the sand. He's, he's actually, remember, we, we, we tend to think of all this sort of happening accidentally, that, man, if it had only worked out better, he wouldn't have been crucified. These are all steps towards making this happen. He pushes them in a corner with this public declaration. Well, the people as well follow, and when he crests the hill, and there's Jerusalem laid out in front of him, and you have these thousands. Remember, it's not just his followers. There's pilgrims and all these who've heard who he is. And we've, we learn in John that a lot of people were wondering, I wonder if he's coming, I wonder if he's coming. And then here he is, cresting that hill. And I like to think of it as sunrise, too. You know, and the sun. <laughs> you know, the whole, you know, if you're filming it, you, could, you can do that if you wish. Um, I'm going to put a piece of gum in. All right. And then they start their yelling and their, their, their chants. Now, this is something that would have happened anyway. As pilgrims are coming to Jerusalem for the Passover, people would sing part of Psalm 118, specifically verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And normally that's reserved for the pilgrims. And there's, there's this big upsurge of this. But now you add to it these other elements. That of the garments being laid. There's a precedent for this as well. In, in, uh, was it in 1 Kings or 2 Kings? Why don't I look instead of guessing? In 2 Kings 9.13, when Yehu is declared king, J-E-H-U, yeah, not, not just some Yehu, okay? That's an unfortunate name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was the, yeah, yeah some Yehu was king. Uh, 2 Kings 9.13, when he made that proclamation that the Lord had made, told him he was the anointed, people laid their garments under his feet at the steps of the temple. They laid their garments down. Now, so there's precedent for this. Well, what about the palm branches? Um, Luke doesn't bring this up. He doesn't bring up the palm branches. Um, there's speculation as to why. He may be trying to back away from anything that we can be confused as a political statement. He may just be, keep, because his audience is primarily Gentile, they may not get the significance. There's speculation. We don't know. But the Holy Spirit, ultimately, you can ask him as to what's going on here. But the, the palm branches, this is not something that hasn't happened before either. When Judas Maccabeus chased out the Syrians and Antiochus Epiphanes 200 years earlier and had victory over the Syrians and delivered Jerusalem from the, from the Gentiles, the pagans. He was hailed as a victorious king coming into Jerusalem. 
with, guess what? Palm branches. The palm branches themselves, a national symbol of Israel, and these branches actually had that resonance going on. So here you have the people with this declaration of who Jesus is, the cloaks laid before him as the king, the palm branches waving as the victorious conqueror come once again to deliver Jerusalem from the pagan influences, namely the Romans. This is how the people are seeing this. Luke's record of what the people are shouting and singing, which also happened, by the way, with Judas Maccabeus when he came into Jerusalem, same kind of scene. Luke's account of what they're saying, notice, does it have, what word do we normally associate with this? Hosanna, Hosanna, which is a, a cry basically that, of um, save us now, or salvation now, God save us, which by this time was maybe not necessarily strictly with that, more of almost like we would say God save the king or something, but it was an, a shout of acclamation that God is at work here. Luke doesn't include it most likely, again, because of a Gentile audience. But he does say the people changed the quotation from Psalm 118, where it's blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Notice Luke's account is blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, that's pretty overt. That's very overt. And notice now Luke says the people also reprise what the angelic visitation at Christ's announcement of Christ's birth to the shepherds was. Does this sound familiar? Peace in heaven and glory in the highest? Is that, are you seeing that? So you have this framing as well at his birth and now at his exaltation, which of course is the cross, going towards the cross. He packaged all the things that the, the gospel writers say about what was being shouted and sung all through this time. There is no mistaking who they think this is coming into Jerusalem, the Messiah, the appointed king. And Jesus intends the crowds to understand that. Now, of course, their understanding of who he is, like I said, and what is yet to come, even among his closest disciples, they haven't wrapped their brains around it yet. But it does have a way of forcing the events that happen now over this next week. So notice now, it's not Jesus telling the people, shh. Whereas before he would say, don't, don't tell anybody. Who is it now doing it? Pharisees. Pharisees. Now it's the Pharisees. Notice there they are. They could have been part of the procession of pilgrims. Not all the Pharisees lived in Jerusalem. They could be along on this. And you can imagine how now they're viewing this. Tell, and they can't get the crowd, of course, to settle down. So they asked Jesus to do it. Tell your people to shut up. That's, this is not what the Passover is about. There's that. And there's also the fear. The Romans get wind of this. And there's some sort of messianic uprising. There's fear as well about what could happen. And of course, famously, the line we, we all know that is passed down in the history, if these become silent, the stones themselves will cry out. Now, does he mean just rocks? Does he mean the stones of, that form 
the walls and the buildings of Jerusalem. Seems Habakkuk had said something sort of similar in a judgmental way about judgment coming on those who are oppressors and those who would build their walls and their buildings on the injustice of others, that those stones would cry out. And here you have Jesus saying either that all of creation will cry out, the stones, or that even in this city of Jerusalem that is misreading this whole thing, those stones, though, will cry out in acknowledgement of who I am. I can't, this is not something we can keep quiet. Now, remember, this has all happened as he's crested the hill, and there's Jerusalem just laid out in front of him. In the midst of this huge fervor and acknowledgement, finally, of who he is, albeit misunderstood, now... Though, interesting, you have a shift. Perhaps it was the Pharisees all, you know, saying, hey, tell them to be quiet. Once again, sort of pointing to the blindness of the leaders in Jerusalem, the blindness of who he is that once again wells up in Jesus. And in the midst of this huge thing, where he is the, the, all eyes focused on him at the head of this parade declaring him king, he bursts out in sobs, not little tears. He just bursts out in complete, heartbroken lament. Well, why? And that leads us to our second point. He now delivers a tragic prophecy because he is going to, to actually lament over now Jerusalem itself. So that's in verses 41 through 44. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, and you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Wow, that last verse, because you didn't get it. You've had all this time, and you've constantly turned a blind eye. And he's speaking, of course, in Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem is where all the religious leaders are, and they're the mouthpiece of the city and they've constantly rejected who Jesus is and now you have the personal the personal visitation of the king of God in the flesh coming to them and Jesus of course knowing in this prophecy that they that he will be rejected and so he he sobs we have a tendency you know to think of God going ha ha now I got you you know, a lot of folks think of, you know, God's going to catch us all in a technicality, and as soon as he can, he, he loves to bash us. And here you have the king, and these are people who are going to turn him over to be crucified. And just the, his heart just breaks for them. And as we just heard, if you had known in this day, even you, even now, the things which make for peace, 
And he's riding on the donkey, the symbol of peace, coming to be to, to, to bring peace, you know, in that peace between us and God and then between us and others. Peace, and we have been declaring peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Jerusalem itself, the name, has the word peace in it. The city of David, the city of peace. And he laments that that will not take place. Within a lot of these people's lifetimes, they see this prophecy come to fruition. A.D. 70, the Romans do indeed push down a revolt to the point of pretty much raising Jerusalem. They leave some towers, one wall, the western wall, and that was just to serve as a shelter for the Roman troops, but they do indeed, for they, they besiege the city. Many starve. Others, because of uh, retaliation, Roman soldiers took no pity. Josephus describes this in his, uh, in his History of the Jewish Wars. We have other accounts of what took place, and it was brutal. It was ugly and pretty much permanent. So, wow. So on the heels of this triumphant procession and entry, we have this tragic prophecy. And of course, that's true for the world today. When Jesus enters the scene, you're going to have some hail him as the king and fall at his feet and, and, and worship. And there will be others. Despite the visitation of God, will sort of sign their destruction in rejection and in, and in plain sight rejection. Um, and that, of course, is Luke's account here kind of setting this, this up for us. And this is on that, it is, as far as we can reconstruct, it was the Sunday of that Holy Week. Hence, we call it Palm Sunday. And I see a palm frond sitting right there in Jay's bag. Um, but notice the, the more the broader significance of this day. Well, of course, there's more to come. We have several days to look at. Now, we're not going to be able to do that. <laughs> Over the next several weeks, we will look now at the Passion Week. Uh, we're not going to jump straight to the crucifixion. I don't think we even have Sunday school next week. Is that correct? Yeah. Just the best of your knowledge. Okay, so what is the best? I'm right there in line with the guys who get coffee. <laughs> I got coffee. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I have a question that really disturbs me as I read this. If you, even you, had only known on this day, what would bring you peace? So what does that mean in terms of the context of their history and to us? Is he saying that if you just trust God and quit trying to rebel and throw off Rome on your own, if they just trusted God and quit looking to that rebellion against Rome to bring them the peace they seek? Is that what he's saying? Because it was their rebellion against Rebellion. Rome ultimately that was their downfall. Their downfall. 
<coughs> and at the root of it is the failure to recognize the one they've been looking for for centuries, the Messiah. Because their understanding, of course, of the Messiah is that he would come and then overthrow through military might what was going to, what they think the Messiah should do. And so the tragic mistake is that the Messiah has come to bring this peace, and they've missed it. Because their national fervor of being Jewish demanded not just that God would restore and bring in all the nations. Remember, this had been twisted to the point where we're the holy people and you're not. And so there was an understanding that they would be exalted, but everyone else would be crushed. There wasn't this understanding of all nations coming to him. Is this why Jesus said, but now they are hid from thy eyes? The authorized version, the end of verse 42, right after what she was saying. Oh. But now they are hid from thy eyes. Because a lot of times Jesus was telling things just because he didn't want other people to know what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but this, that all of this that could have been is, no, is not, you can't see it. Yeah. Yes, sir. It strikes me that this is the negative of what's said in Psalm 19. It starts off, the heavens declare the glory of God. Then it talks about how all creation declares God's glory. Then it talks about the law of the God of the Lord being perfect. Then it ends up saying, keep me from error, from not being discerning, from not having willful sins. But that's exactly what is described happening here. Yeah, good. Just backwards. Yes, it's, hmm. a, it's the negative of it. Yeah. Any other comment? Yes. This, uh, whenever I hear this verse 40 about the stones crying out, and I hear a secular archaeologist who has to reluctantly admit you know, we found, found these rocks and they seem to line up exactly with what the scripture says and the timing and everything else. That's a good point, they yeah. Reluctantly, it's as if the rocks are saying, hey, I'm talking <laughs> yeah, to you. The archaeological finds are screaming. Yes. Yes. No, that's great, yeah. And you know, the history of archaeology is largely that. A lot, you know, a lot of archaeology started with biblical sites. Uh, what we know is modern archaeology, and so much of it has been egg in the face. Mm -hmm. People digging to try to disprove scripture only to find, oh wow, uh, oops, yeah, the reluctant. Stones are crying out. That's good. I like that. I'm going to use it, by the way. There's actually a book. Is that right? There's an archaeology book, the stones cry out. Oh, is that right? Yeah. It's just on, on the history of yeah, biblical so archaeology? It talks about how Ramsey and I think that one was Fulbright, but several of the Fathers of archaeology all started off disbelieving. Then they came to say, well, you know, the New Testament is the best archaeological guide you could ever find. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Yeah, people don't realize that Scripture, too, as, as an ancient text, is the most archaeologically and manuscript evidence-attested book in the world. Uh, and my understanding is, too, is that, like, only 10% about 10% of what we call the Holy Land has been excavated for the most part. Yeah, yeah, there are tells everywhere which are mounds of occupation that have yet ever to have been excavated. A lot more rocks are gonna be yelling, there you go. I just thought this was a reference to the Rolling Stones. I, you know, I just thought, man, I didn't, I didn't know. Sorry, yeah. And they're still doing it. Give it up. 
Let's pray. I can't end on that. <laughs> Thank you, Father, for, uh, for this time we get to share together and the excitement we can have about your word and how your word constantly comes to us fresh and your Holy Spirit constantly helps us to see more and more and more. We're grateful uh, that as we enter into Holy Week, we have this time to, uh, to pause and to reflect, to think about um, the events that led to the crucifixion and then the subsequent uh, resurrection and how we on this side of that are the beneficiaries of your plan. Um, astound us once again with that great good news. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Father. You've been a great teacher. Amen. 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 Thank you, sirs. Yay. Are you retiring? That was it. That was, that was it. Yeah, I'm retiring. That's all. Have a great Holy Week. Goodbye, podcast people. Everybody say goodbye to the podcast people. Yeah, see that? You should be here, folks. <laughs>